Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. How is everybody good? Yeah, welcome to an evening with Whitfield Crane. My name's Matt Stocks. I will be the host for this evening's anecdotal adventure. Uh, I'm very thrilled and honoured to be welcoming onto the stage a dear friend of mine, somebody I've known 12 years, loved him since the day I met him at Download 2011. We've done some great interviews over the years, but it's been several years since our last Lots to catch up on, lots to cover. Uh, we're going to be inviting you to be a part of the show for the second half as well. So start thinking already about any questions you might have. If anything pops up along the way, make a note and we'll try and get through as many, if not all of your questions in part two of the show. Also, some live acoustic music will be coming your way as well. But for now, ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming to the stage the magnificent Whitfield Crane. Whitfield. Have a seat right there, my friend. We got two kinds of water back here. We got still, we got bubbles. And uh, if you so desire, a Corona Zero as well. Yeah. We're being very sensible tonight, myself and Whitfield. This is the first time in a long time we've hung out together and not partaken in the devil's liquor because we want to be present and on point for all of you. And there is so much to cover with, so many kind of areas of your just layered, rich and, and varied adventurous life to try and um, explore in as, as many uh, kind of, I think, insightful revelations we can share tonight. There will be some stuff that we hold back, of course, because you can't give the whole thing away, but we're going to try here tonight. Uh, Wit once said to me, it's one of many wit-isms that he has imparted upon me in the time that I've known him, and he's full of wisdom, this guy. And one of the great things he said to me very early on in our friendship was that people are the currency of our lives. 
It's people, it's connections, it's relationships that enrich our very being. Um, I would love for this journey to begin with, I believe, the lady who set you on your path, uh, the wonderful Lena Crane, your mother. Um, was she always supportive of your decision to you know, go into the world of rock and roll? Because you were pretty much, from a very young age, bitten by the bug, right? And you wanted to be a rock star, you wanted to I be don't a know, I don't know, I wanted to be a guitar player and I was a pain in the ass kid. I don't know if you guys know what latchkey kids are, which would probably you go to jail for it now. But when we were kids in uh, Northern California, Palo Alto, California, to be exact, there was a lot of single moms. The dads were out of the pictures. And um, so you'd come home from school and you'd just be by yourself with your sister, but there'd be no parental. You'd eat cereal and look for the prize in the cereal box. But so we we're latchkey kids. And, you know, that came with, you know, I think actually a wonder, a wondrous form of independence, which I think is a currency once again, different currency. Uh, but um, I'll tell you a pretty cool story. So, Imagine me, like, high school's over. My sister's coming back from college. She's a molecular biologist or studying to be. She's coming back from UC Berkeley, and um, and it's it's Christmas. And at that point, I'm still kind of a materialist, and I'm excited about the bigger the present under the Christmas tree, the better. And it's just my sister, my mom, and me. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pain in the ass, certainly. And uh, so I'm like 17. High school's over. You know, I, I don't have a job. I don't want a job. And, I, and I've, I've, I'd love to be in a band, but I, you know, how do you even get there? And, uh, and they know, my sister, four years my senior, and my mom, they both know what they're up to, but I don't. And I'm, I'm dim. I'm still dim right now in certain ways, but really dim back then. And they're all, why don't you open one of your gifts? And I go, I don't. And I ran over the thing to get the biggest gift. Bigger's better. And I opened it up. And I was like, it was a skill saw. <laughs> and I was like, what? I don't want a skill saw. What, what is that? And they're all You'll get it in a little while. And I'm like, eh. and we give some gifts. And there's a next, next, next gift. Open it up. I'm like, fuck, I can't wait. It's going to be great. It was pots and pans. <laughs> and I was all, pots and pans? Because once again, I was dim. I was like, we already have pots and pans. And they're like, right on. Next gift, I open it up. It's like lamps. Which means get the fuck out of the house, right? But I, but I don't get that. I don't understand it. I can't even fathom it. I'm like, oh, what? where's the fun stuff, you know? But to my mom's credit, you know, back to her being supportive of anything anything remotely positive. To this day, she'll be all, I'm in. So at that time, there was a, Klaus, my guitar player, I'm a singer. Uh, he, we grew up in a town called Palo Alto, California. And he lived down the street. And he had this thing called a, a Tascam Porta one, which is like a mini studio. Not that I'd ever know how to use that, but I was like, I want this thing, you know? I thought it was close to rock and roll. And uh, there it was. I opened the thing. I was like, right, I have the thing. And I was like, right on. She's like, right on. And I'm like, okay. And then I opened another thing, and it was this, this exact mic, SM58. And I'm also, she, you know, she was like, you could be a carpenter. Here's your saw. Get out of the fucking house. Here's your pots and pans. And um, you got everything you need you really to go be an adult. Rock and roll journey. Here's your possibilities. So she's, uh, she's neat like that. And, um, you know, she is a, um, there's a lot of archetypal roles you can play in life and none are right or wrong, right? You could be whatever you want to be, right? Um, and one of the roles that you can play is a victim. And I don't think there's a lot of currency in playing the victim, though many victims exist. And sometimes there's actual victims, but mostly it's a role. So my mom's never played that role. No way. And uh, she's tough. So if there's anything that I've received from her, it's because it's it's, you could teach in a school, you could teach with you know teachings, but then again, parents in particular, you're going to, you're going to mirror what they really do. So she's just a powerful survivor. Uh, she's got a lot of uh, innate fortitude. And um, 
she looks like an Easter egg. <laughs> Are you picking up his mic okay? Or should I get on it like yeah. that? You want me to go that? Sorry. Yeah, there we go. Sorry about that. The people want to hear you Whitfield as yeah. do the people at home listening. Um, so, Klaus, let's talk about Klaus. Sticking on the theme of people in currency, it's safe to say I yeah. think a lot of the cynicism, the humor, the the brand identity, if you want to call it that, of Ugly Kid Joe, a lot of that is him and his personality, right? Yeah, he's a funny dude. Um, you guys all know Klaus is, right? Yeah? Give it up for Klaus. Come on, come on. So, without this vocal singer disguise, I would just be socially inept, all right? It's just true. So, in high, in junior high school, we went to Jordan Junior High School, right? And our, what's it called? Like a mascot? What, what's it called? Like, you're the Tigers. You're the, what's right, that? Right, yeah, yeah. What's that called? Mascot, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ours was the Dolphins. We're going to outthink you. Pretty silly. So in, in, in this place, in this Jordan Jr., I didn't have any friends, and I really wanted a pair of Adidas, and that's about all I could really think of. And I saw Klaus. I saw him in, like, you know, in the hallway of junior high school. Junior high school for us was sixth, uh, seventh and eighth grade. And I, uh, and I followed Klaus out one day, out after school, the bells had rung, and, there is, and I kind of walked up to him like a psycho. And he's literally, like, really, this is before we found any drugs or anything. We're like, like little kids. And I walk up to him, and I go, what's up? And he's, like, terrified of He's like, what is up? And, uh, and I followed him all the way home, and I, like a dog, all the way to his house, 41 Kent Street in a cul-de-sac. And I got to the point where the, where the sidewalk becomes the driveway, where you could say, you want to come inside? Or you go on your driveway and look at me like, what the fuck is up with this dude? And I stared at him like a psycho and said, I was, told, I was like, I mean, I was touched by him. Like, I, I knew he was supposed to be my friend, but what does that mean? And I said, you're going to be my best friend. Like this. And Klaus is really quiet and nice, and he's a gentle, nice man. He went like this. He wasn't stoked. And then push come to shove, we did become friends. And then uh, we were all going to become guitar players, and then we went to uh, an East Palo Palo Alto, has Palo Alto and East Palo Alto, and there's a guy named Ken Brown. Ken Brown's kind of a, you know, the dude where you'd, you'd go um, learn how to play guitar. And I, I told my mom, I'm going to be a guitar player. It's on. Eddie Van Halen, Randy Rhodes. It's all happening. And she's like, okay, go to Ken Brown. So Klaus went to Ken Brown, and Klaus studied. Klaus has the focus to do that. I went and was like, this is really laborious. This is shit. And, and I told my mom, uh, she goes, how did it go? I go, we need an amp. We need the stacks. We need all this thing. We need all that. I showed her a picture like Van Halen. I'm like, we need this tomorrow. And she's Because uh, I thought at that, back to being dim, this was even dimmer before the, 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 the dishes, whatever. whatever. I, was, I was even dumber back then. And uh I thought if you had the gear, in my heart, I thought this. If you had the gear, showing your mom the picture of Van Halen, you could just magically rip leads. And that what's not true. But Klaus, to his credit, practiced and could rip leads. And all of a sudden, we were 14 or 15 or 16 or whatever, and we're having these parties at his house. And Klaus can play Eruption, which is a Van Halen ripping lead from Van Halen 1. And I was like, wow. And, you know, he's tracking songs. He's doing this and that. And, you know, I wasn't getting left behind, but I was like, I'll be the singer. <laughs> and he goes, he was like, and he never said no. He's not a big no guy. He wouldn't be like, no, but he'd like this. And just keep playing. And so I begged and pleaded to be a singer for years and years and years. And then it never happened. And I went off to Santa Barbara. Uh, and in Santa Barbara, there's a town called Isla Vista. It's the most dem- densely populated square mile west of the Mississippi. And it's just all the you see uh, Santa Barbara college kids. It's amazing. There's, you know, you don't need a car. You guys have a bicycle, a skateboard. Everybody's cool. You go surfing, 
you know, and I, and I ended up in a band in that town. And then that band, which later becomes Ugly Good Joe, it was a rock band. You could play in the streets on the street called Del Playa or Trigo, Salvador Tarde. And you didn't have to necessarily be good in a college band. You could just show up and play in the, uh, the driveway. And then all of a sudden I had, I, I was something. I was like, I'm a rock singer. Perfect. And then life was good. We could draw. That band became you know successful as far as what that would mean in that town. And we could do like 800 people, cover band, cover band, a couple uh, originals. And then I went back to Klaus on the day that NWA came out, I went back with, I had a demo tape of me singing because he doesn't believe I can sing. And I said, here, listen to it. Come be in this band. And uh, he did listen to it. And then we did some of his songs with the same producer. Then he came and watched the band. And then he joined the band. And then he took over the band. And then, uh, which he did. He doesn't say a lot of things, but he's like, this is how it has to be or I'm going home. And I'm like, all right, if you know what you want. And then he played basically 10 gigs in his life, which is to his credit. And then we got a major uh, at that time when it mattered, uh, a major label deal. And then we made an EP, which isn't necessarily the greatest body of music, but it was super successful and took us around the world. And um, that's our friendship. And now we're still doing it. It's pretty trippy. So give it up for Mr. Klaus. Eichstatt. Yeah. And what, what's the name of his T-shirt company that he does? So he does the best thing. You, if you'll have seen Ugly Kid Joe live in the last few years, he'll have like Black Sabbath and it'll say Britney Spears. I think it's a, yeah. If, uh, if you guys are interested, I'll tell you a funny about story. Klaus, it's, first of all, it's called Mock and Roll. Mock and Roll Art. He thinks he's really, really well, whatever. And, uh, and anyway, so he, he sits me down. He sits me down. You know, he's got his Mock and Roll T-shirts on. And, you know, I'm okay. You write songs. He's all T-shirts. All right. Tell me about your T-shirts, bro. So he says, because he's a really sweet guy. He's a good, he's a good dude. He's a solid best friend. And he says, hey, Whit, you know, do you think we could promote my mock and roll shirts on the UKJ websites? And I'm all, yeah, man. Let's go for it. And so we do it. We, have, we, have, we work with this guy, Gav. He's, you know, he, he, I'm a Luddite. This Gav's right. So they do everything they can do to push this T-shirt empire forward. And then, um, you know, like a couple months later, we're talking on the phone and he, and, he, and he never calls me, but he called me and, and I'm like, is everybody alive? He's like, yeah. And, he's, and he was hysterically laughing. And I'm like, why are you laughing? He's like, <laughs> and I go, what's up? He's like, dude, mock and roll shirts. And, and I go, what's up, bro? She says, what, what, you, what? You sold like thousands? He's like, nope. I go, how much you sell, bro? He's like, guess. I'm all a thousand. He's laughing. I'm go, I go, no. He's like, no. I go, five hundred. No, I got down to a hundred. Nope. I'm all 50. He's like, and now he's like, he's like bellied over laughing. I'm all 20. He's all, no, I'm all 10. He's, he's all, no. Two. He's all, yes. <laughs> so if you guys can do anything, whether it be the people in the room now, because, you know, come on, let's all work together. It's a family, except rules. Uh, it's called Mock and Roll, Mock and Roll, I think it's called Mock and Roll T-shirts or whatever. And so buy his shit. It would make him happy. Give it up for Mr. Klaus Eckstatt. Let's get him to double-digit sales by the end of this podcast. So you, you sort of alluded there to things taking off for the band with the EP. Um, is it safe to say that that was a shock to you guys, the rapidity with which you went from being these kind of unknown kids to just like an overnight sensation, really. How did that happen? Well, MDV. There's a time when MDV played the videos. We were part of that time. 
Um, we made a video in the, that town I was speaking of, uh, Isla Vista, California, for $5,000, a video for, called, uh, for a song called Everything About You. And we didn't really think much of it, you know? We just, like, you're doing what you do. You don't know what, I don't even know what I'm doing now. But, like, you know, we did that. They released it. They wanted to sell X amount, which wasn't a lot. And it went on to sell, like, an incredible amount of albums or whatever you want to call it. And uh, it took us around the world. And so I don't know if the word is, was it a shock, but it certainly was um, comfortable and highly uncomfortable. Like all the fun parts of, uh, of like you're 23 or 24. So match what you can get up to. We did all that, but there's a business construct that I wasn't uh, capable or ready to deal with, which has a lot of hypocrisy to it. Right. So I was, it was like oil and water and it was like, you know, uh, I don't know. All of a sudden people would be all, you're the singer dude. And I'd be like, no, my name is Wit. What's up? And so it got, it got weird like that. And I didn't know how to, to uh, negotiate those seas of cheese, but it was awesome. I mean, we got to go meet our heroes, which is pretty cool. Cause in the end of the day, I'm a music fan. So is everybody in the band. So is everybody in this room. So we were able to go on tour with a lot of our heroes and get to meet these dudes that used to be the posters on our walls and not just get an autograph. So that's what I really wanted or a picture or whatever, but they, they'd be like, let's jam. And I'd be like, no way. So it, uh, it was a lot that appeared very quickly. We toured straight. I mean, we did the EP, did the full length with Mark Dodson, who's awesome. And basically we, we, in that cycle of whatever that is, which is a good time to do at that age, we toured solidly for two and a half years straight up. And, uh, some people in the band couldn't handle it. They're like, I got to get out of this. And I'm like, right. I mean, if I had my way, I would keep touring forever, but, that's some motorhead shit. So some people don't like that, but we did that innately because I guess you strike while the iron's hot. But yeah, crazy experience. Talking to motorhead and big tours, uh, the first big one for you guys was Ozzy Osbourne, Ugly Kid Joe, Motorhead on the bill beneath you guys. No more tours two tour or no, no more tours tour one. Yeah. Um, tell me about the day when you went into Lemmy's dressing room to like make right the fact that this new band, these kids yeah. are positioned above the legends that are motorhead. How did you approach that situation day one at all? Well, I mean, the thing about even getting that tour, like we were all of a sudden doing, I guess, real interviews with like reputable. We didn't even know what we were doing, but like every, all Klaus and I would say would be Aussie rules. Like any question. We'd, so all of a sudden we got this Aussie tour. And at that time, the EP was, um, you know, whatever, selling a bunch of EPs. And because of that, Sorry, Wits being very humble there is the highest selling EP of all time to this day. Sold a couple EPs. Um, <laughs> it did. Um, but anyway, so we, we get, we get, you know, we're on tour. We've just kind of like tri we've transitioned from a, um, like a motor home and we've never left California. So we're cruising around, we're in the United States and people are going to the shows. We're like, wow, this is amazing. And we're, you know, I've never had any experiences and all of a sudden it's all here. It's great. And then uh, we get, uh, this is before cell phones. So imagine communication back there was a really kind of sexy thing and a lot of foreplay to it. And uh, all of a sudden we got the, uh, we got the, uh, the call that you got the Aussie tour. We're like, fuck yeah, dude. And by then, then we, we turned it, all of a sudden we had a 45 foot American Eagle tour bus. And we'd seen a tour bus in like a poison video, but we'd never been on a tour bus. We're all, no, we got a fucking tour bus. Fuck yeah. We're like hugging each other. We're like, this is fucking incredible. We're crying. And we get on the bus and then, and it takes us to this Aussie tour. And then there, there, that's true. Motorhead, Motorhead first, Ugly Kid Joe on a shitty EP, Motorhead on the 20th Rad album, shitty, Ugly Kid Joe band. 
and then fucking Ozzy the King, right? And I'm like, wow, we're super stoked. But we get to the first show wherever that was, and I'd met Lem before, and Lem's awesome. And I'm all, fuck, because it's just wrong. Like, there's no way that band, it's just, it's wrong. And I know it. And, um, but it is, the world's what it is. So I cruise, everyone runs, we're, we're excited, we've never seen a real dressing room. We're like, wow, there's all this shit. We're like, wow. And then I kind of put my head like this, I'm all, hmm. And there's Lem sitting there, he's, he's all. And he has his big rad boots on, and he looks like healthy, badass. Lemmy behind him is like crates of whiskey, and he's, he's a pirate. He's fucking radical. And uh, so I cruise in, I just walk in, and I get on my knees in front of him and just sit there, and he has his hat on like this, and he's like, he goes like this. He looks at me, and I just look at him like this. Looks at me like this. I go, I'm sorry. <laughs> and he leans and he goes, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> and I went like this. And he's all, and that was it. Now we're cool. And we've been cool ever since. He just, you know, he was such a honorable dude. But like, you know, and then we went and played. And the, we'd watch him every night and be schooled with his greatness. And we'd sit there and watch Ozzy Osbourne. Zach, I was Zach Wilde's beer tech back then. <laughs> You know, um, what a tour, what a thing to do. And uh, what in, in a summertime, you know, you're cruising around and um, you know, the Osborne kids were really the small little kids and it was just like an Aussie was such a badass. So, you know, uh, music has been and is such a catalyst for me to uh, experience life, you know. So, yeah, Motorhead rules. Motorhead rules, Aussie rules to let me out, Aussie. <laughs> Give it up for Motorhead! <laughs> Wit and I just caught the train in from Brighton and we got off at Victoria Station, obviously right by Hyde Park, and immediately the memory came flooding back, didn't it, of uh, 2014, I guess would have been the year. July 4th. It was yeah. Black Sabbath, Soundgarden, Faith No More, Motorhead, Soulfly, and, and Wit that day got to sing. Is it Was it Killed by Death you did with them? Killed by Death. Yeah. Well, the thing in 2012 and 2014, I devised these schemes that became, they're schemes of the moment, which are always my schemes. And uh, so I don't really have a fixed address, right? And uh, so we fit, both times I finished tour in Europe and would end up in England. And then I'd be like, well, what am I, what am I going to do? And both of those times in 2012 and 2014, um, I was like, you know, there are cell phones now. And my, my, fi- my fingers on the pulse were like, oh, shit, Motorhead's going on tour, pigeon, right? And there's something that you would never do. I mean, you just it's, an, it's a ludicrous idea. You would never show up to a band. If you're not playing, if you don't have any point being there you can't just go on the tour bus and hang out it's not gonna happen right but i thought that was a great idea to go do with motorhead and uh so both 2012 and 2014 i would show up at the motor they're just about to go on these crazy tours so the 2014 story is i showed up i had time to kill you know I, i'd always show up to motorhead completely straight edge sober because you can't survive that band if you try to take them on you know <laughs> so i would show up like what's up you know, but you can't like rage with those dudes. Like you, they'll just kind of discard you and throw you to the side. But uh, so anyway, so I go on the tour with those dudes. And so 2014 there, I'm on the bus. I have my own bunk. I'm really excited. And every night after the show, I get to hang out with Lem, and listen to fucking heavy metal stories. And I just love that guy, you know? And then every third show. So I was out there for like maybe two weeks, let's say 10, 11 shows. Right. And every third show with Motorhead historically, Lem would say, I suppose you'd like to come sing tonight. And I go like this, fuck yeah, dude. give me the fucking mic. And and, uh, and the thing about that version of Motorhead, it's a three-piece, right? So you're really fronting Motorhead, and they're really loud. Like, they're fucking loud, but awesomely loud. It's rad, because they, they play by their own rules. And the um, the text, all the, all, the, all the Motorhead crew, just so everybody knows, it, what was the, it was a 
really strong, powerful family. And so when I'd go sing at the various times with Motorhead, the uh, and I've only seen it in pictures of like the Who, but the if you look at this mic, they they would give me a microphone like this, but they they'd have it like like gone like that and they taped up. It was like like you see it in the old seventies thing, and I was like, ooh, I'm part of the seventies, whatever. I Is there know. a reason why they do that? I have no idea. But I mean, maybe so the thing doesn't fall out. I don't even know idea, but I was like, rad, I'm in the seventies, <laughs> and uh, and so pertaining to Hyde Park. I'm never going to play Hyde Park. I'm not going to get there, but then again, hey. maybe with Motorhead. And uh, so anyway, so we're, we're playing and I, you would never say, I would never say, if Phil Campbell comes back and says, hey man, you want to come play tonight? You would never use this word, no. <laughs> Which I was ready to use this one time. And we, so I think we're in Switzerland, the next show's Hyde Park. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to land it on Hyde Park. Like when they say, well, suppose you want to, blah, 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 you know? like I want that. And, and Phil comes so you, up. You know your time's coming. No, but, there, but, but anyway, Phil comes back. Phil's radical. And, uh, and I go, what's up? And he goes, hey, man, let him want you to come sing tonight. I'm all, no. And he goes like this. He's totally puzzled. He's like, what? He has his guitar on. He's like, really? I'm all, I'm all no. He's all, really? And I'm like, yeah, watch this. No. <laughs> and he couldn't really place it, but I was being kind of funny. No. Right? And, uh, and he disappeared. And then they were all puzzled. Everyone was puzzled about it. And then... You know, we went and hung out in London. That, that what's that nice hotel right next to uh, Hyde Park? I don't know. You know we stayed there, and um, and um, and all of a sudden, Phil looked at me. He goes like this: "I know why you did." There's three. He's trying to like the penny dropped. He's like, "I know why you did that." And I'm like, well, "Why is that? How, how would you know?" And he goes, "You want to play Hyde Park?" And I, I go, "Fuck yeah, that's a killer idea." <laughs> so then, the day of Hyde Park, we cruised in the Motorhead bus. You know those double decker buses. And I'm looking out, and I'm like, fuck, yeah, it's all this. I'm like, fuck, what, what a bill, as he said, Soundgarden, Black fucking Sabbath, so rad, Faith No More, whoa. And uh, so I'm watching, and Lem, you know, Lem's health is, is, is not the best right then, but he, Lem walks off to his little, almost like, like a high school math portable, like the shitty backstages and backstages world, and he disappears. And then, then Phil Campbell looks at me and goes, so today? And I go, yeah, man, think it can happen? <laughs> he goes, well, I'll go ask the boss. And I go, do that. <laughs> So I sat there like a little kid or like, I don't know, like a little, like a rad little kid, like a weird kid that wants to go, like a, the Christmas present I want. And, uh, and, and he walks over to the thing, opens the door and I, it's like, no one's watching me. It's just me. And it's just a moment, just my own bullshit, my own solipsistic fantasy. And I'm like, oh, this would be cool if only this could happen. Please, God. I don't even talk to God, but I'm like, please, God. <laughs> If there's a God, please. And Phil walks out like really quick, slams the door and he goes, and he goes, whoosh, and I'm like, no fucking way. And uh, there I was, Hyde Park, you know, with all those incredible bands. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think all artists feel small. I do. But like, you know, so the part of me that feels incredibly small, which is, it just does. I think we all feel like that some capacity. If Motorhead lets you sing with them, you feel less lame. You know, it's like the ultimate validation in this. You're like, okay, lineup. I can't be that bad if this dude's gonna let me go front his band, and it was rad, you know. And there's a and there's a thing in Kill by Death where I, you know, I get really hyper singing. I'm maybe you guys know this. And at the end of uh, at the end of Kill by Death, a couple times I'd be all, "That's right, that's right," but I, I wouldn't stop doing it. That's right, singing it, let me. That's right, that's right, and then you go like this. <laughs> like, like, shut up. And I'd be like, oh, no, 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 no. So that is the story of how to get to Hyde Park with Motorhead. Hell yeah. 
talking about feeling small. How did you feel when Ugly Kid Joe parted ways? Um, and what did you kind of go on to do? Like, did you feel at that point like the band was the definition of who you were? And was there some soul searching that had to take place? Like, put us in that picture of when UKJ call time was it ninety seven? Mm, they would. I would say December ninety six. They might say February ninety seven. But either way, the band ends. Um, we did our last. Okay. Towards the end of Ugly Kid Joe, and Grudge was coming to destroy everyone. You could feel it, whatever. But we're cruising along, and if there's anything I want to do, as we as we agree upon, is um, is live life through music. You know, it's cool to make some money and go entertain and inspire people or be inspired or whatever, and get a sandwich and some beers, whatever. But um, equally, it's rad to go live life. And we were so successful in the classic sense of success, and we were. I was like, I hadn't gone snowboarding in like. I like like snowboarding, and all of a sudden, so I invented these snowboard tours, which are really stupid ideas. You know, it, you know, what's it called when you think about it later? Um, what is it? In, in retrospective. In retrospect. In retrospect, like it's a totally dumb idea, considering the limbs of the of the of the band members. And the, so I invented these snowboard tours, and they were awesome. And we ended up last show of the Joe in, in, in when it dies is like in like somewhere in Austria. And then I go to India with my friend 5,000. My quest is to go to India. And we end up in a, so, but I don't know the band's going to break up after these snowboard tours. I think everything's cool. I'm all, rad, we're snowboarding. Everything's fun. Let's keep getting rad. And everyone's like, no, let's not get rad. It's fucking over. So you kind of didn't know. You didn't No, I had it. no idea. They were like, they're fucking over it. And it's, Klaus is over it. You'd have to actually ask Klaus what he really thinks, but he was over it. So anyway, so I go and I get this Portuguese mansion in Goa, India. And I got my friend 5,000. We get a bunch of Enfield motorcycles. And it's fucking awesome. And we're fucking hanging out. We're having these parties. And it's fucking awesome. And I'm like, wow. And this is before cell phones again. I don't have a cell phone. But you could drive, drive the Enfield motorcycle on the, on the dirt roads next to the rice paddies. And you could have a big handful of rupee coins. And you could call whoever you want. Call your mom. Call whoever. So I called Klaus. And I'm like, dude, I got a fucking rad mansion in Goa. It's fucking sick. You should come bring everyone over. Let's make an album. And he's all, no. I'm like, what do you mean? No, it's super rad. <laughs> and he goes, we've broken up the band. And I was like, oh, fuck. Really, dude? I just got this as fucking rad. So when you asked me a question, how did it affect me? Because I was knee deep in adventure, it didn't really affect me um, adversely. Like I was, I, was already, I was in life, so it didn't really. But it's weird. So when you say, did, did I define myself by that? Sure. I mean, I, that's what you do. So, um, but the setup with something like that is, which it did blow up in my face and stop, is, band's over is if you if at least for me the setup with that is if you can complain about your dreams coming true you're an asshole right so i was like okay i don't want to be an asshole right so i was like oh how can i celebrate this and so if there's anything that I came to conclusion of during that whole uh, transition from i have a band to no band was the the frustrating part which i think it's a fair frustration it was right when i had um become good at what i was doing like, I was like, I get it. Like, I, it wasn't like the EP kid. I was like, well, I kind of get what this is. I know how to do it. And I was like, I front a band. Like, and all of a sudden, I, I didn't have, it's like anybody in this room. If you're good at doing whatever it is and you're not doing it, it's frustrating. So because, you know, Klaus didn't want to put the band together ever. Like every, because we're best friends from high school. So we, we have all the same friends from when we grew up. Um, you know, every couple of years I go, hey, and he goes, Shh. and I go, shh. I go, fuck, dude, never? He's like, I don't want to talk about, and I go, all right. And then because of that and because of my need to go 
perform and be in a band, I, I actually, which is kind of healthy for me, I went outside the box and I went and had a bunch of different musical experiences as a vocalist and kind of rounded out whatever that is, whatever I am, whatever I could be. And uh, now that we're back doing whatever we're doing, which is, of course, Klaus, we call him the window shopper. So it took him 15 years to put this thing back together. But it's been really cool. The band, oddly, has been together now longer than it was in its first form. So, but yeah, it's a, it's, it's a weird thing for anybody, including me, to, you know, you know, you're a rock singer, then you're not. You know, what do you, and, you know, it feels good to work. So that the conclusion is, which was told to me by Lemmy years ago, is that uh, what you want to be is a working musician. And that's really it. I used to, I used to be, I didn't get consumed by the myth because the myth is just too dangerous, but the myth is right there. It's like, you know, is there such a thing as a rock star? Are you cool? Whatever it all, you know, the drugs and alcohol and all the different things are there. That's, it's all dangerous if you believe it to be true, because it's not true at all. The truth of anything uh, in this, in this storyline or for any of you in the room is to be working in whatever you love doing. So for me, I love to be in a band and to be around all the stuff that a band comes with, the crew, the bus driver, the touring, all that. So I love that. And how do you get to do that? You work. So if I'm working, like right now we're working, funny enough. And so, uh, you know, initially when I wasn't working, I didn't understand that what I wanted to do was work. I, I more looked at it like the myth. I didn't understand what it was, but I'm closer to it now. But, you know, I'm always learning. Where did the next project come from? Was Life of Agony the first sort of post-UKJ round one yeah. musical adventure? And that's such a left-field, um, surprising marriage of two very different projects. And, and I'd love to know how that offer came to you because I know Alan, I've spoken to Alan about this, and his side was they tried pretty much everyone. They'd auditioned and tried so many people, but nobody could hit the notes that Keith, now Mina, yeah. did and he was like and Wit just came in and, and absolutely knocked it out of the park but how do you get the offer in the first place you know some kind of West Coast Ugly Kid Joe totally different to that whole New York hardcore metal scene where does that offer come from? Scott Ian so Scott Ian plays guitar in a band called Anthrax and I'm friends with a bunch of heavy give it up for Anthrax <laughs> um, Scott I'm friends with a bunch of heavy metal people I love heavy metal I love Priest and Sabbath and Anthrax, Metallic, I love all that stuff. But Scott's my friend. And like he's like, oh, your band's broken up. I'm all, I was all, I was like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. I was like, yeah, it's over. <laughs> and those guys aren't used to be, being Eeyore. You know, they're all, wait, 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 Craig, come back. Because they, you know, I'm, 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 I'm on top of the beat. And uh, so he goes, you know what, bro? You should be in this band Life Agony. And I go, what is Life Agony? Because I don't know. And they're all, you know, this is it. And once again, there's no cell phones back then. And, uh, and I go, Really? And, and so Scott was the bridge of it. It was a ludicrous, conceptually, it's, a, it's an insane thing. The Ugly Kid Joe Singer with Life Agony is conceptually odd, to say the least. But I did go slay it, and I got the gig, and, you know, I didn't know. So back to me being like, what do I do after the end of my band? Like, this is like the deep end. This is like jump in the deep end. And to get the, the river runs well, to, to, to get those notes, like I don't sing like that. But to sing like that, you have to sing a certain way. And I was like, I wonder if I can do it because I don't know. And I could do it. And then all of a sudden I was doing it. All of a sudden I'm on tour, to playing these huge rooms with them, headlining. And the, the you know, the life agony crowd would be like this. And fair enough, they, they'd be like this. No, not this dude. Not really. No, this is not our fucking bro. <laughs> Stop this now. 
but I'm cool with that. Challenges are cool. And I cruised out. And I was like, this is the best because the parts in that band are so fun to fucking front. And I would slay it. So it would go from like, fuck this dude, to like, fuck yeah, this is rad. So it was a really great thing. And I love the East Coast humans. Like I love Philly, got Philly people. I love New York, Bostonians. Uh, you know, New York is a place like if you're not full of shit, which I'm not, and you show up and you could be a California guy, whoever, if you're really who you are, that you'll be adopted. If you're not, you might get knocked out. But so imagine like I got adopted by the hardcore, like the weirdest marriage ever. But, you know, it was a great year. And I'm happy I did it prove to myself that I could do something beyond Ugly Kid Joe. And during that tour, I got us on the OzFest 98 OzFest. Yeah. yeah. We there. Yeah. Hell yeah. What, Milton Keynes? Yeah. Oh, right on. I went to you. You did? Oh, wow. How did I do? Yeah, they're great. It's a great, great band. Um, but I, uh, so, excuse me. What'd you say? It's it's okay. You can you can pipe up. We just need to know what you said. Otherwise, it just the conversation falls dead. One o two. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> um, <laughs> See at 102. <laughs> um, we talked about them, the, the Osbournes. I know they're still a family that mean an awful lot to you. I know they love and cherish you. Um, tell me a little bit about your history w- with those guys and, and your relationship with both Ozzy and Sharon and, and Jack and Kelly as well. Well, we got that tour in 92 and we were young and super stoked. Like I couldn't wait to just be near Ozzy Osbourne. He's my hero. He's all our heroes. He's so fucking rad. And, uh, you know, and then we, I mean, yeah, I'm friends with the whole family and they, they kind of adopted me and I was like, I'm going to be the babysitter of these kids, which I became the babysitter of the kids. And, uh, you and shared a really nice video recently of some old like home movie footage and you're in a dressing room. I think you got Jack. Yeah. Little back. Jack. He's like this big, he's like six. And, uh, you know, kids, kids in general are the raddest people in the world. Uh, so imagine like a little mini Aussie kid. I'm like, this is fucking rad. And he had like Jack had little, he was a little dude this big and he had little, he had leather pants black eyeliner. I'm all Jack. Come hang out with us immediately. <laughs> so, and Sharon's cool. Sharon's a smart gal and, uh, and she's tough and, um, you know, they like you or they don't. And I'm all, hooray, it's me. And they're like, okay, we accept you. Um, and, uh, you know, I've just been friends with them through the years. I went to Ozzy's B day, 50th B day, 70th B day. And just, you know, uh, his birthday's on, by the way, think, think good thoughts for Oz on December 3rd. That's his birthday coming up. Um, but they're just, um, they're people too. They're just a family getting to, and she's so rad, and so badass. She, you know, imagine, imagine dealing with Ozzy when he was like, <laughs> imagine that shit. Like she's like, they used to rage together. Like ask her, she, they used to party and carry on. And all of a sudden she had her epiphany. She's like, one of us has to stop this. And it was her, you know? So they're neat. They're a neat family. They're, uh, you know, legendary really. And they, they kind of, did they invent, what are they called? Re- Reality TV, basically. They kind of invented it. I mean, they're certainly, I think, the most successful of that genre. And they've recently launched a podcast, which is brilliant and, and just so funny. Um, why don't we talk about Miles Kennedy? I did want to throw him in the mix here because one of the last times we hung out, I'll never forget this moment. We've been to the Houses of Parliament to go see Slash play, just like another day in our lives. It was mental. It was me and you, and we're in the Houses of Parliament. Slash plays a gig. Miles is singing. And then 
Miles and Slash are walking towards us, and me and you are together. And Miles just goes, Whitfield Crane, walk with me. And you kind of turn to me like, I guess that's my call. And I'm like, bye, Whit. So you just go off into the back rooms of the Houses of Parliament with Miles Kennedy. Uh, and I did a podcast with him a few months back, and I brought you up. And he said, that dude, like when I didn't know how to be a frontman, which seems weird now because he's a master craftsman, but he said when he was starting out, he didn't know how to command a crowd and behave on stage. And he came to you for tips, tips that he still uses to this day. So tell us a little bit about your history and friendship with that dude. Um, have you guys heard of a band called Another Animal? Hey! Yes, somebody. Um, Another Animal toured with the Alter Bridge in 2007. And uh, we toured the United States and there was Miles kicking ass. And Miles, if you guys don't know, is a profoundly uh, impressive and magical and groovy guitar player. Like he's fucking great. Um, and so I would sit backstage and watch him diddle around with guitar licks. And I'd be like, damn because like it's proper kick-ass blue shit. And I'd go sit with him and talk to him. And he's really gentle and I'm super hyper. We're perfect, right? And uh, we would talk about this or that. And he would say to me, uh, and I say this respectfully, he'd say, you know, he, he likes to go up to perform with a guitar, which is fair. I got a guitar. I feel safe. And he, they, kept on, they kept on nudging him for him to go out without the guitar. And that's where he didn't feel comfortable. And I'm all, I can help you, bro. And I've got, we got a cheat sheet out and I showed him like what, what, like, you know, I've learned how to do it over the years. I watch Ozzy. I watch Meatloaf. I've watched David Lee Roth. I've watched all the masters. And that's how you learn doing anything. So I kind of knew some tricks and I'm all, here's all the shit. And then now when I go see him, he knows when I'm there. Like I'll sit there stage left, stage right. And I'll do some fucking killer wizard shit. And it's like, fuck, he's not scared. He's not scared anymore. He's fucking ruling it. And he'll, he'll be all, whoosh, he'll do some wizard shit. And I'll be all, oh, Miles the wizard. And then he'll go like this. I'll be back here. He'll go. He'll go. So we're singer friends, you know. I just saw him. Uh, we just played a show. Ugly uh, could Joe play a show in, in um, what's it called? That the Belgian show. I'm sure it's called Puckle Pop. No, no. Belgian festivals. Any any knowledge of Belgian festivals? Anyone? Grass Pop. Grass Pop. There That's it is. It. I knew right. there was a pop in there. So we played Grass Pop, and backstage it was the awesome backstage. It was like they kind of they being the. People the puppeteer the backstage areas. So our backstage was the greatest. It was Ugly Kid Joe, the band Down, Devin Townsend, and fucking Miles Kennedy. And I was like, right on. So I cruised and said hi to Miles. I'm like, what's up, dude? You're rad. And it was Miles Kennedy's solo. That guy works so much. He worked with Slash, Alter Bridge, and Solo. That guy's a, like, that's some motorhead shit. But anyway, so he comes to, uh, he come he came to watch our whole show. He's all, I'm all, you going to come check us out, bro? And he's like, I'm coming. Rad, that'd be an honor. Thank you, Miles. Miles looks at me as I'm about to go on stage. What's up? I'm on your rap. And he goes, I'm stealing everything you got. I go, please do. Give it up for Miles Kennedy. So Whitfield Crane, uh, a couple of quick rock and roll stories um, as we approach the home straight. And I want to pick your brain on your experiences as a traveling worldly man um, towards the end. But first of all, you are, I think, the only person I know to have ever successfully caught a flight without a passport. That's true. Tell us how you did it. Well, you can Ozzie believe Osborne. it, right? You can believe he pulled it off. It was 92. It's before 9-11. So maybe there's some kind of wizardry there, but I still think this is a pretty cool story. So in 1992, America's Least Wanted, you know, we're young, totally out of control. Um, but it's, it's, it's the exact age to be like that. And, uh, so, and then we have this, uh, tour, tour manager, a great guy named Graham Cooper and Graham Cooper was our tour manager, which included babysitting me at my worst. And, 
And so I, I, my move at that time was uh, to save, you know, a per diem is like they give you a little money every day. And so I, I would just eat the, the food backstage. And in, in my mind, at the end of the tour, there would be a stack of cash waiting for me. I'm rich. But so the last, the last show of the tour happens. We're downstairs, and I'm getting dropped off in a splitter van at, at Heathrow. I, I, think, I think it's just me and Graham. And I sit down with him, and he's looking at me like he can't, get, can't wait to get rid of me, and that's fair. And he sits there, he puts all this cash out, a big stack of pounds. Like, I'm all fucking rich. It's awesome. And I, like, I try to grab it, and he put his hand over it and said, no, no, no. And he had a big stack of receipts of, like, damaged things from the tour. And I'm all, huh? And he goes, let's go through it. <laughs> and he would take each one, and the stack slowly went down. Sadly went down. And I was like, it was fair. And I was like, oh, fuck. And I got, like, like five pounds. And I was like, fuck, this sucks. And I had, I was all disheveled and I had a beard and I was kind of fat and like, you know, little like rock and roll loser. My hair was all matted. You know, I was thrashed from like drinking too many beers. So he takes me to Heathrow and he, and I'm, and I'm like, I'm just disheveled. And right when I'm getting dropped off, I have my ticket. I go like this. I go, dude, I don't have my passport. And he goes, and he goes like, he opens this, that door and he kicks me out with all my shit. And he goes, he goes, it's not my problem. Go to the consulate. And I go, really? And he goes, and he just drives away. And I was like this, I was sitting there like, I, I don't know if you guys ever see, saw the movie The Jerk, but there's a, there's a scene at the end of The Jerk. I looked like Steve Martin in The Jerk. I was like, oh. And uh, anyway, so I have no ID. I have no passport. I have no credit card. I have no proof that I'm me. Um, but we're popular. Can I sell that? You know, and uh, and but I do have on that back to the 90, 92 Aussie tour. I had, I kept on losing that that like, laminate on that tour, and then I had a dream that my, the picture on the back of my newest laminate that I needed to get would be, have me and Aussie laminated from a Polaroid, which I somehow still had. I had it, like I didn't lose that, which later got stolen. Anyway, so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, well, maybe I can use this laminate, which is kind of a stupid idea. <laughs> So I cruise up to the whatever airline it was, and I go, hey, what's up? And they're all, how's it going? And I'm all, here's my ticket. And they're all, you got your passport? And I go, no. And they go, really? Well, and I go, listen, I have to, I was going to New York. I was going to see my girlfriend. And I go, listen, I need to see my girlfriend. It's really important, which is technically true. And, uh, and plus, come on, let me on the plane. And, uh, and, um, and they're all, no. And I go, do you guys know who Ozzy is? <laughs> And they all went like this in a, in a unison. Everybody back there, even people that were on the computer, all turned around and went like this, Ozzy Osbourne? And I go, I go, yes. My name is Witt. I sing in a band called Ugly Good Joe. I just got off, to, on tour, got off tour. This is, look at this. And it was a picture of me and Ozzy on the back of a laminate. Like, I, for sure I was the rock dude, the band. Like, I had to have been. And, uh, and I go, and, uh, and they're like all, they looked at me like this. Like, cause, you know, I'm pretty fucking funny sometimes. And, uh, and they go, hmm. They cruise back and they have like a little huddle. Little and, and I'm like this. I'm like, and I'm not holding, somehow I'm not holding anyone up. Like somehow it's just some, some weird moment where I'm not, it's just kind of a moment. And then they come over and one, go, one of the guys comes, he goes, come here, come here, come over here. And I go, what's up? And he goes, can you not say anything? I go, what does that mean? He goes, oh, just, we're going to put you on the plane. You're going to go with the, uh, with the pilots. And I go, I go, really? With no passport? And they're all, Yeah. <laughs> And I, and I go, I go, ooh, that's awesome. Cool. When do I go? Right now. So I could have, like, had heroin and cocaine strapped to my body. Like, no one, I didn't go through anything. But, you know, I look like there's no way I wasn't 
there's no way I was, I was me for sure. They're like, fucking let this dude in. So I go, what's going to happen? But what happens when I get to New York? Cause New York's not fucking around. And uh, they're like, Oh, you're going to, they, they gave me some bullshit thing, which I totally accept. They're like, you'll pay 80 us dollars and they'll let you in. I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> they're like, yeah, that's how it goes. I go, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> cool. All of a sudden the plane takes off and I'm like, yes, I've made it out of England with a fucking Aussie laminate. <laughs> So then we land at JFK and I'm all, and I think, you know, by then I'm sober, I'm not all fucked up. And I'm like, oh, and I'm, I'm all, yeah, I get to see my girlfriend. And we get there and I, and I'm all, I think I got pep on my step. I'm just going to cruise with this $80 story. Somehow I think, I don't know what, if I even had that. And I cruise up and they're all passport and I'm all, I don't have one. And New York people, New York, New York is not fucking around. They're like, they're all, really? What is that? What do you mean you don't have one? Did you lose it on the plane? I'm all, no, they let me here. They let you on the plane with, I'm all, look at my, it's Ozzy. <laughs> and uh and uh and um they're like fuck you what do you what do you mean i go well you know like they said i'm not lying they said i pay 80 dollars everything's fine and they're like no and i don't know if you ever saw the show taxi but there's a character in taxi named louis de palma and he has this little cage that he sits in and he looks up like you, Danny DeVito, right? Sorry, not yeah, Danny DeVito, you're right. So they send me to this one little thing. They, they send me there, oh, you're fucked, kid. They, 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 they send me in this thing, and there's a little dude, and they, he's, he's all grumpy. He's, he's like an archetypal, like, it's fucking Danny DeVito from Taxi. And he goes, what the fuck? All kind of barking at me. And I'm like, well, I'm $80. Let me in, girlfriends. Rock and roll. Ozzy, me. Ozzy, I'm rad. And they're like, they're like, he's so bothered with me because they don't know what to do with me. I'm an outlier at the highest tier. So he's so he, he sits me, he goes, sit down. And I go, okay. Because I've done that in high school a million times. And, and, I, was like, and I was like, oh. And I know I'm like, what are they going to do? I, I didn't smuggle drugs. I didn't do anything. You got to let me in. I know it's going to happen sooner or later. Then they send me another room and they interrogate me. You, we're going to look through your shit. I'm going to look away. Look away. Like, do whatever you Let me in. I didn't do anything. I'm a rock dude. I swear to you, Ozzy. And then they, so it goes on and on for a couple hours. They send me back to the first dude, the, the uh, Danny DeVita guy. And I'm like, all right. And I'm not bummed. I'm more puzzled. And it reminds me of my entire life. Like no one wants to do with me. I'm not really in trouble, kind of in trouble. And then uh, he looks the guy's busy doing whatever he does in his little cage. And then he looks at me and he goes like this. He goes, you still here? I go, yeah. And he goes, get up. I go, all right. So I get up, and I don't know if you've ever seen, like, government buildings. Like, in the inside, there's, you know, those big the doors where it goes to kink, and it opens. But when it closes on the outside, there's no handles. I don't know if you've ever seen that. But like a fire exit door. Yeah, like that. So he goes, and he kicks me out into New York. And I'm all, Whoa, with all my shit. And, and, the door, and, the door, and the door's all, and I'm all, well, all right. <laughs> I think that story deserves a round of applause, ladies and gentlemen. An Ozzy Osbourne tour laminate. Um, bon Jovi and socks. Can we go there? Why, surely. Yeah, let's go there. So um, peak years, again, we were on the, um, the tube line today that was going past Wembley. And it's like, oh, I played Wembley back in the day with Bon Jovi, Van Halen. Yeah. Um, again, two of your, well, one of your childhood hero bands. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What was the tour like, first of all? And then what's with the socks? Oh, well, the tour was awesome. It was soccer stadiums, and it was mainly Ugly Kid Joe, Van Halen, and uh, Bon Jovi was selling the tickets. And sometimes it would have, like, the Pretenders on it. Sometimes Slash would be there. It was just a trippy, awesome tour. And we had a record out from 1995. It was called Menace to Sobriety, and we were that. 
and uh, we were dangerous and fun. It was right before everything's going to go bad. It's when it's still good. And we're out there and the tour is cool. Eddie Van Halen's the greatest. Those guys were so fucking cool. It was great. You know, I went, I would get to, you know, Ed was sober, but we weren't. And, um, and during like Ed's solos, like, you know, remember I had posters of this dude on my wall plastered with Eddie Van Halen. And so like during, um, during the shows, during Eddie's ripping leads, I would get Michael Anthony would go like this, come here, be on the base cap. You know, I pitch down and I don't drink whiskey. It's not a good idea, but my, but my back Anthony would be all, <laughs> and I'd be all right on. And I hit and you make the whiskey face. And then Eddie Van Halen would walk between like, there's the whole 80,000 people, but Eddie Van Halen would walk and look at you and go, do the rad shit. And I'd be like, wow, this, and this was every day. I have no documentation of it, sadly, but it happened and it was awesome. Now, Bon Jovi had a, um, this great woman named Spanky, I believe her name was. And, uh, she was the, the, the wardrobe gal. So like, if you could make friends with her, you could get clean clothes. That was my main mission. <laughs> so I made friends with her and she was super rad. I'm all good. I got some clean clothes. Cause that's the dream on tour. Just so you know, your dream on tour is clean socks, clean clothes and get going. Right. So on club tours, like just in normal club things, there's a thing called a rider. You could get Skittles, you could get beers, you could get bread, you could get vegan food or you could get whatever you want. But one of the things I've gotten over the years, cause I was told by the, some of my friends that I consider smart socks socks are an incredible thing to have because if you put on if you're just feeling disgusting and you get and you put on a nice pair of clean socks you feel awesome you're like all right this is radical i'm almost clean that one's free london you can have that bit of advice on wick crane tonight no but i'm serious socks are awesome i like clean socks everybody does think about it and anyway so on our rider you know, and th this is a great opportunity for Ugly Good Joe. I shouldn't be whinging, but then again, it was kind of a fun whinge. And uh, and Bon Jovi's a fucking super cool dude. You know, he took us on this great tour. It's a great, you know, you know, we're not going to be able to do soccer stadiums. Jesus Christ, it's awesome. But anyway, on the rider, I put socks. <laughs> Guess what wasn't on the rider when we got backstage? What is it? It's true, socks. I heard your Freudian slip. I heard the Freudian slip. That wasn't on there either. Uh, but anyway, so there was no socks. And I was like, fuck, man, no socks. It, it's not that big an ask. We're not, we're not asking for like some crazy thing. We want socks. Nobody really wants socks but me, by the way. No one cares about it. They're all, shut up with your sock shit. I'm like, oh, motherfuckers, give us socks. And everyone's like, shut up. I'm all, socks, socks, socks. And uh, it's true. I was insane. Anyway, we're, we're kicking back in. A, it was a pretty great moment. We're kicking back. Uh, and it's uh, and, and on that tour, we played Rock and Ring and Rock and Park, which was there was a bunch of bands on those shows. But like, you know, all the bands that we are friends with were still like Van Halen was there. Bon Jovi was there, whatever. And Eddie Van Halen would come hang out. and His brother would come hang out. And we just kind of hang out. We're hanging out backstage. And I'm still whinging about socks. But Eddie sits next to me. He has his guitar on. He's dicking around his guitar. He said, how's it going, guys? And I'm all, no one wants to hear me say socks one more time. But I'm a fucking going to be relentless. And I'm all, fucking Bon Jovi. And, and, and Eddie's like, what happened? What did he do? And I'm like, he won't give me socks. And Ed goes, what? He won't give you socks? I go, no, man. I asked on the ride. Guess what, Ed? He said, what? I'm all, no socks. And Ed goes, fuck that. And Ed, Ed jumps up on the table, takes off his shoes. Pulls his socks off and gives me his socks. 
And I proceeded to take my shoes off, put on Eddie Van Halen socks, strap in, and go play a rock show. That's how it's done right there. Uh, we're going to break in a moment for about 20 minutes, and then we'll come back or answer and ask as many of your questions as possible. Um, then, as I said, we're going to hear some live music, which I'm very excited about. Whit, you've traveled the world. You've lived all over the place. You spend time here. You spend time there. You go with the flow. What I would love to know is what your adventurous, slightly nomadic existence has taught you about the nature of the human experience because we live in these crazy times now where everybody is, I think, so divided and conflicted over so many things. But for you as a positive person, as a, a student of the human condition, I know you're a curious man, what do you think are some of the common threads that do bond us as humans and what do you think should be the things we should be leaning more towards as a species to, to do better and enjoy life more? Be kind. That's it. I'm waiting for a follow-up, but there's nothing. That's enough. Well, I thought you really need to do. I mean, what I've found is <clears throat> people are just, you know, I mean, past the, the division you speak of and past all the bullshit and past all the algorithms for the news, which is all, whatever it is, it's okay, um, is people are pretty cool around the world. Everyone's pretty rad. People are just trying to feed their families and get some tea and get some education and boogie on. So, you know, uh, you know, I, I go everywhere from dirt roads to mansions to whatever, from the, all through the casts. Uh, and, uh, people are awesome. I think people genuinely have, um, pretty good intentions, you know, and negativity just seems to be more interesting as far as like, you know, what you'd sell, but people are good. You know, and I kind of, I try to, you know, back to my mom, cause that's how she sees it. And she's not fucking around. She doesn't take any shit, but, um, yeah, be nice, be kind, be grateful. You know, there's like, a, there's so much shit in the world right now, but there's always been, it's nothing new. It's new for us because this is new for our lives are new. Right. So <clears throat> it's been going on since Cro-Magnon or Neanderthal. This is nothing new. It's just new for us. But you're allowed to, uh, I, I, at least I am, uh, I suppose we all would be allowed to work on our responses, right? Because someone says, fuck you. It's really easy to say, fuck you, right? Um, try not to say fuck you back. That's it. Be nice. Love it. Whitfield Crane, ladies and gentlemen. My dear friend. And Hero, you've been a very inspirational figure in my life and I love our talks and it's always a pleasure spending time in your orbit. And we will be back. Grazie. We'll be back for part two in 20 minutes. So go away, hydrate, urinate, do what you got to do and we'll see you in 20 minutes for part two of the show. Thank you very much, guys. Don't forget, mock and roll t-shirts. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. All right, all right, all right. Did everybody enjoy part one? What a wonderful response. Is everybody excited for part two? Well, without further ado, here he is. Welcome back to the stage, Mr. Whitfield Green. All right. So, Pook, would you like to join us? This is my good friend, Pook, ladies and gentlemen, my glamorous assistant for the... Very glamorous. Glamorous! For the Q&A section ahead. You have a microphone there, my friend. If you wouldn't mind positioning yourself in the middle of the aisle, in the middle of the room... What's his name again? Pook. Hey, everyone, give it up for Pook. Thanks, Pook. The, the cable Pook? will be as long as you need it to be, my friend. You got plenty, dreams come true. This. Plenty of maneuver material there. So it's as big as you need it. If you have <sighs> wetter than an otter's pocket right now. If you have a question for Mr. Whitfield Crane, don't be shy. Now is your time to ask this man within reason anything you like. Give so, it to give it to one hundred and two. Can we um, turn <laughs> the main room lights on? Is it possible to turn the main room lights on so we can see people? Be nice to... Do you want to turn the room lights on for part two, Whit? Not really. No? <laughs> Shall we not? It might be easier to see where the questions are coming from is my only thinking. Otherwise, we're just staring Consider into... yourself the There we there go. go. That's, that's, that's incredible. It, right? Hey. Let there be lights. <laughs> Sound. Hey. Drums. So now we can see you all. If you have a question for Wit, just pop your hand in the air like that. There we go. This man knows the drill. Introduce yourself. Say your name. Say What's your What's your name? Where are you from? Andy from Guildford. Um, right. yeah, thanks for tonight. It's been great, by the way. I was just wondering, what was the first kind of like rock or metal song or album that you heard that just made you think, wow, this is really what I need to do in my life? Huh. The first like, show? Like the epiphany moment almost. Well, I'll tell you a story where I cried. But before my tears came, I went and saw Johnny Cash. That was my first show ever. It was awesome. My mom and my dad took Circle Star Theater the night that Muhammad Ali lost to Leon Spinks. But back to your question, there's a guy named Michael Brown across the street from my, my, mother's, my mother's house, Linus' house. And Michael Brown had Kiss Destroyer. And so I went and saw the picture of that. And I was like, right on. And then he had some other Kiss records. And this is not exactly what you're looking for, but I'll tell you a story where I cried. So I didn't know what music was, but I was pretty, I was like, kiss fucking rules. This is crazy. Look at these demons. It's just everything I wanted. And I heard Dr. Love studio version, right? And I was like, all right, I like this Dr. Love. I was really into that song. So I, I got a paper out and I saved all my money, every penny I could get. Because this other kid showed me, if you've ever seen Kiss Alive 2, you open it up. It just, but I didn't hear the record. I just saw how evil and awesome it was. So I saved every penny I could, I could, I could, and Kiss Alive 2 is live. It's live. I, I didn't even know what that was. I just wanted to hear Dr. Love's studio version. And I went and rode my bike, and I saved all my money. I whipped it out, and I went to the record store. I bought Kiss Alive 2. So back to your question, Kiss kind of turned me onto it, but this is a good Kiss story. And I cruised back to my mom's house, latchkey kid, no one's there. I opened the thing up. I fucking kiss. Can't believe it. My mom has a killer stereo. I put the vinyl on. 
I put it on, you know, wherever Dr. Love was, I'm like, fuck yeah, Dr. Love. And it was live. And it wasn't the studio version. And I sat there and started crying. <laughs> because it wasn't what I was looking for. <laughs> but anyway, kiss. There we go. Uh, Pook, the lady to your right, right there. I believe Rachel is her name. Are you going to ask Whit right now about the clothes? Do you remember the question that I need to ask Whit? This lady wants to buy your hoodie off you, Whit. I'll let you two negotiate that. For a pound. (laughs) You might need to go a little higher. You might need to go a little higher. A a pound of what? Oh, well. (laughs) My flesh? I don't know. No, my actual question was, so you've mentioned M4 motorcycles, and I've also seen you in Brighton on a, a mod scooter. What is your ideal motorbike or scooter? I'm not allowed to ride motorcycles, says my mom. So the only time I've ridden a motorcycle in history, really, has been those Enfield motorcycles because my mom could not see that from far away. <laughs> um, so, I no, the mod the mod thing that we posted, that's like, you know, the movie Quadrophenia? Of course. So uh, in Brighton, there's people that are really, like, that's the last. If you guys look, I have like, Instagram, whatever the fuck that is. There's the, there's the last scooter or whatever it's called that from Quadrophenia. I got to sit on and take a picture. But I, I don't really – I like walking. Um, but I don't ride a lot of motorcycles. I'll tell you this. When I was a kid back in that house, but younger, and I was, you know, problematic to say the least, and I loved to torture my mom, and I couldn't wait to have tools to torture her. And one day I walked in, you know, my dad's out of the picture, and she looks at me, and she's just freaking out on life. And she looks at me, and she's shaking. And she goes, can you promise me to do one thing, one thing? I couldn't wait to wonder what it was because I couldn't wait to do it, really. And uh, and I said, what is it? And she goes, can you please not ride motorcycles? And oddly, of all the things, like the penny dropped immediately, and I was like, that's totally smart. So I don't really ride motorcycles. I just kind of sit on them and take pictures. (laughs) (laughs) Which is fair. Which is fair. Uh, Anybody else? Right at the back there, Pook, if you wouldn't mind. What's your name? What's your question? Come on down. What's your name? Where are you from? Fantastic. Excellent. My name's Scott. I'm from Southampton. I travelled up for this tonight. Fantastic. Thank you for um, being here, dude. Give it say, up for Scott. I've got to say first that Klaus is uh, my Van Halen. Like, nice. I, I started playing guitar. The first thing I heard the first weekend was uh, America's Least Wanted, and it blew my mind. Oh, wow. And it's been one of my favourite albums ever since then. So from what you said tonight, it sounds like for your vocal prowess, you've kind of been winging it over all the years. Have you had... Any experiences when you kind of blown out your voice on tours and things like that? Um, no. Uh, what I've done is like, originally I was like, I want to be a singer. I'll go to vocal school. And I went to the Hollywood vocal school. <laughs> I'm going to be a fucking rock singer. Let's go. It was called VIT, which is friends with GIT and PI, all the bullshit. And I went there and they had us singing home, home on the rage. And I was like, when's the metal? <laughs> When does the metal start? And they're like, not yet. And I'm like, that sucks. And the, and the, sing, and the coach, I don't know how to do anything to this day, but the guy would tell me how to stand. And you couldn't hold the, like, you couldn't do these things. And I didn't know if you could or not, because I don't know what I'm doing. Still don't. But it was bullshit. So I went to, because I, but I wanted to go. And if there's anything I got out of that experience, it was the fact that I committed to doing some kind of ritual, which, which mirrored what I wanted to do, which is this. So I didn't really learn anything from them. But, the, but then equally during that time, there's like some legendary guy that taught Axl Rose or whatever singer that was great. And you go, it's only 70 bucks an hour. And you go there and it gives you a warm-up tape. And I was like, fuck yeah, I'm getting a tape. And this is, it's on. I'm almost a rock star. It's getting close. I went fucking to that dude. And he's all, and I was like, right on. And then technically the band I was in, you're supposed to be all, shh. 
you guys, shh, I got to warm up like an hour. And I'm like, this sucks. This warming up sucks. The whole thing sucks. So then I devised a scheme because I'm lazy. Let's be honest. I devised a scheme that, back to your thing, though, so I'm not classically trained. I do wing it. I don't want to warm up, so I don't. But I made a deal with my own subconscious where as long as I sleep eight hours and have room temperature water or water, I can sing. So that's what I do. And I, I don't warm up. I just show up and, and wing it, as you say, because I, I suppose singing in general, at least by my, my vantage, is psychosomatic. So, yes, I wing it. He's Fantastic. doing a pretty good job, right? <laughs> totally, yeah. Thank you, Scott. Next question. Back down the front, Pete. So are we front. getting your steps in tonight, mate? Ooh, who needs the gym, eh? You didn't sign up for this, did you? I didn't. <laughs> we'll get you another beer. We'll take care I of it. I didn't do it. What's your name? Where are you from? Hi, I'm Vicky from Bedfordshire. I'm the one that was at Ozfest 98. Oh, awesome. So. I Give was it up <laughs> I was 14. That was the first thing I ever went to. So, And it was amazing. Um, I've got a photo of you at the signing tent. And I looked at it recently and realised you're sitting next to Logan Mader, who I didn't know at the time. And you obviously ended up about three years later in a band with Logan. You went into medication. So at what point along the journey did you guys decide to get in a band together? Well, right then, on the, on the 98 Ozfest in the United States, he was in Soulfly, I was Life Agony, and we were, you know, two peas in a pod, let's say. And, uh, and at the end of that tour, both of us, for whatever reasons, were out of those bands. And I'm all, let's move to Hollywood and start a band. So it was, it, with respect, it wasn't three years, it was one year later after 98. So, um, you know, we moved into 826 North Kilkia in, uh, in Hollywood and we got B. Blunt, another guitar player, and we had Roy Mayorga from drums. And even Robert Trujillo was in that band for a little while. And we made some music. Medication made an EP, which I think is awesome, has Roy on it. And then we made a full length record, which has Josh Freeze on it. And it's cool. That was a cool, I mean, sibling to jamming with life agony like but i didn't make any music with those guys that was the first time that i ever uh, with logan um had to do it all myself write all my lyrics all my melodies and do the whole thing so it's really interesting back to necessity you guys i really appreciate necessity so yeah it was rad to find logan and we had good times and we're friends to this day and you know it's interesting who you meet along the way the reason i thought it was three years is because i saw you in medication in 2001 in milton Keynes in london and I actually met you backstage at Milton Keynes as well. So we've met before. All right. Um, yeah. So that was, that was why I didn't know the, quite the timeline. But yeah. No, no, no. So sure. So I guess we'll just both be right. So like, I, 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 <laughs> so like 98 Ozfest, boom, we're out of bands. We move into a decadent home in, in uh, Hollywood, to say the least. And we get our shit together. We made it to tour to see you three years later. All roads lead to Becky. There we go. Uh, Thank you. Back to Rachel, Back to Rachel. Uh, getting sorry, greedy oh, here. Okay, sorry. She's going to um, up the offer to two pounds. Two pound fifty. You're going to no, have to go I'm higher. Still not buying. Excuse me. The, the hoodie. Two pound fifty. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. I'll, 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 you, I'm, you're just going to make me keep putting my hand up. Anyway, the actual question. You've mentioned so many incredible heroes. Yeah. Preferably living. Who would you like to play sing with now? That's alive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. But you haven't already. <laughs> well, I'd love to sing a song with Ozzy. That'd be the, the dream, you know? I mean, he's my hero. That'd be awesome to do. Uh, alive. Whit Whitfield, very quickly. Did you not want to sing with Black Sabbath? I did. Tell the, tell that story. That's a good one. Um, do you guys want to hear the Black Sabbath story? Yeah. Okay, it's pretty good. 
So um, anyway, I don't know if I've answered your question. Um, really? I, I, I apologize for that. Uh, so Ozzy would be rad to sing with, um, to track with. Uh, I don't really know. What do, you what do you think? I who should I be jamming with? What do you think? What do you see? Oh, see, I I love so many bands. I mean, I I this doesn't really answer my question either, but I'd love to see you do another animal again. Okay, there you go. That's what you're looking for. But but I can go completely off tangent. I mean, it's really ridiculous, but I'd love to see you sing with Cher. With Cher? <laughs> Fuck yeah. Okay, so me and Cher would slay. What happens if you don't know what you want? You end up with Cher. Yeah. Which I accept. Cher and Cher alike. Cher and Cher alike. All right. Is that good? Did I kind of answer your question? Are we yeah, cool? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're right. with Cher. You guys ready, you for, the, you guys ready for the but... Crane Jams with Black Sabbath story? Yes. All right, it's pretty good. So, in 1997, before the cell phone, whatever that shit was, um, the word on the street, because you have the word on the street, the heavy metal word on the street that you hear, you hear shit. And the thing I heard was Bill Ward's playing with Black Sabbath, which is the original Sabbath. You know, we love Black Sabbath. So, I call Sharon Osborne at her office. I don't even think I have a band. Uh, and uh, I called her and she's like, hello. And I'm like, what's up? Is uh is um Bill playing or not? She's like, I can't tell you. I can't say it. I'm not saying it. I'm, I, I, I don't know. And I go, look, if, if he's playing, Sharon, I am going to fly there immediately and go see Black Sabbath. It's my favorite band. She goes, okay, he's playing. It's happening. <laughs> and I go, radical. That's great. Um, And so she goes, tell me when you land. I'll send a car for you. We'll get you to Birmingham, get you a room out. But she's so rad like that. She's awesome chick. Anyway, so I bring my friend Jenny Berry. And Jenny Berry is the girl, if you listen to Cats and Cradle or... Um, Busy B or any of that shit. There's a female vocalist, and that's Jenny. Jenny was never my girlfriend or anything, but I, you know, really respect her. We're friends, so I say, Jenny, you want to go see Black Sabbath because she loves Sabbath. So we go, we land, we have a car, and I'm being really weird and fidgety. I'm all fuck. She's like, What's wrong with you? I'm all, I'm all. I think I'm gonna jam with Sabbath. <laughs> She's like, What do you mean? I'm all. I just feel like I'm about to jam with Sabbath. Something, something's about to happen. I'm, like, I'm not on drugs, but it must look like I was on drugs. And I was like, fuck. It's fucking happening. And she's like, whatever, weirdo. And I go, whatever. And she's like, what are you going to jam? I go, not like that. Something's about to happen. I didn't know what it was. So we get there. It's Birmingham, England, and there's fucking crazy lightning. It's just like, you know it more than anybody. And I'm like, wow, we're here. We're in the thing. It's like, you know, it's not like Holiday Inn. It's like some like thatch roof, like crazy hotel shit. And I'm like, wow. And all the fucking Sabbath entities are walking around. I'm like, this is so rad. You got big Bill Ward drinking his tea. And I'm like, fuck it, there's Bill Ward. He's giant. He's awesome. And then I'm like, right on. So I'm sitting in the, the Jenny and I are sharing a room and we get a, a note under the door. And I'm all, there's a note under the door. <laughs> and it's from Bobby Thompson, who's no longer with us. BT is awesome. And the note says, can you call us immediately? We need your help. And I knew what that meant. It meant you have to jam with Sabbath. <laughs> which is, of course, my dream. I didn't really know what it entailed, but I called him on the landline in the phone, and he goes, he, he was tripping out because what Sabbath was doing, which is awesome, they're recording, oddly, the first show, it's in Birmingham, where they're from, uh, and they have an 18-wheeler truck with this guy named Tom Panunzio, Ampex 456, they're recording it for a live album, right? And so the thing about Sabbath, conceptually, is uh, they're a jazz band. They need a vocal cue. And Ozzy, fair enough, was like, I'm not singing the set before I sing the set to be tracked for no. And so whatever you can imagine, like their 
communications with that band. It just probably takes one nudge when it goes south, right? So the, the, the southern winds were coming, and then enter me. And uh, and I was like, what is it? What do you need me to do? He's like, you need to come to Soundcheck for two or three days, and you sing with the boys. And I'm like, what does that mean? And I was looking at Jenny. I was like, you mean I need to sing with Sabbath? And she was like, oh. I'm all, like, I got to go jam with Sabbath, right? And, uh, and uh, so I did. And so I would go every day and go sing with Black Sabbath. And like, which is like the conceptual reality of that from this chair is terrifying. But if you give me a microphone on the stage, I, I feel really happy there. So there I was in Birmingham for three days, two or three days, going through your entire set with not just like a couple of dudes from Sabbath, actual Black Sabbath. Like it was Geezer Butler, Bill Ward, and Tony Iommi. And I kept on, this is what I kept on doing because I, you know, I'm obnoxious like this. And I was like, oh, I felt so happy, but I'm doing frog leaps. I'm like, come on! Like in the, in the, it's in the room they're playing later that night. It's going to be packed. And I'm like, yeah, come on, everybody! And the, and the band's like looking at me like, what the fuck is up with this fucking dude? And which, funny enough, that's just naturally what I would do. And so it transcended whatever bad blood that was going on. But, um, um, and then I'd go up to Iomi. Because like, like, I'm scared of Tony Iomi. He's like, don't fuck with that dude. But if I have Ozzy's microphone in Birmingham with his band, and it's all good that I'm there, I kept on walking to Iomi. He's, 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 you know, he's a gentle dude. I, I get into his zone, I'd be all. And songs that were not on the set list, I'd be all. I'd be all. And he'd go like, and I'd be all. Hole in the Sky, which is a Sabbath song. And I'd start naming these fucking crazy songs that weren't on the fucking thing. I mean, and then sacrilegiously, I was all, heaven and hell. <laughs> and I got Sabbath to play random songs that weren't on the, like I nudged them so hard that they played these songs that weren't on the set list and we just had fun. So uh, I was able to jam with the actual Black Sabbath. All right, next question from the crowd. Round on the front row here. What was your name again? Tim. Tim. Pook, if you've been mind. Thank you very much. Hi Tim. Hi. Um, uh, so this morning I flew here from Holland to to UK. And Give it up for Tim from Holland. Come on. Thank you. Uh, first thing, my nine-year-old son told me to say hi. So there. there say hi go. to Tommy. Okay. It's beautiful. Um, I got two questions. Is that allowed? Of course. Yeah. First one in the start of the interview, you you talked about your mother. And I know you have a song about your father. I was wondering, did you ever meet your father? And you yeah, I grew up with my father. He was um, challenging, okay. right? So imagine, you know, there's lots of ways to look at that. You could say that my childhood had, you know, some toxic realities, some violence, this and that. Now that either sucks, which it does as, as one perspective, or it's an actual template to get you ready for life. I go for the latter, you know what I'm saying? Like, so it was good that he split. He split when I was around eight years old. And my sister, who's four years my senior, we like would pull my mom to the side and say, you got to get rid of this dude. And he was just doing whatever he could do. I mean, he was just a dude. So, you know, we don't damn him or hate on him, but it was good that he left. And and oddly, part of my fortitude or my strength that I have on earth in this meat suit walking around is because he was such a shithead. You know, does that make any sense? Thank you. Uh, the second one is uh, there was a great question about who you would like to jam with, and you you asked like um, anybody who's alive. So I was I was wondering anybody who's dead. Jimi Hendrix. Like In immediately, Jimi Hendrix, Bon Scott, Malcolm Young, Ronnie Van Zant. Lane Staley is also on the list. Lane, sure, let's jam with Lane. All right, <laughs> thank you, thank you. Give it up for Tim. Thanks, Tim. All the best.
Say on the subject of a couple of... Uh, now I won't spoil the surprise. But let's just say you're in for a treat very soon. Uh, any more questions from the room? We've got time for a few more, so speak now. There's one down the front. Is there, is there one there? You don't have a... Yeah, yeah. Well, then we'll... What's we'll your name? Where are you from? My name is Ben. I'm from London. Hotel Room 102, yeah? <laughs> Which hotel? I need a place to stay tonight. I so might have accidentally started that. I didn't mean to. I'm sorry. We, we like you, dude. We were talking about you backstage. <laughs> You're the highlight of the show, bro. You know, everyone talks about me. Normally, not in the best way. So, but I can't but, imagine that's true. I know. I know. But, but anyway, listen. Huge ugly Joe uh, fan. Therefore, I am a huge Whitbull fan. Uh, there was Aren't a time, we all, my friend. Oh, here we go. Right, no. <laughs> there was a time. Whitfield did a solo tour. It was above the room at the garage in London. I don't know if you all know that venue, but it was yeah, above it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so I was there, and he all asked, well, first of all, the thing was I'd broken out of hospital. I'd, 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 my appendix had burst. And it wasn't a quick whip out. They'd had to get it all out from everywhere. And I was like, I ain't missing that gig tonight. The doctor's like, you ain't going nowhere. <laughs> but I went, I'm going. <laughs> so, so anyway, in the middle of the crowd, he went, who are you all from? I went, hospital. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jeremy, Jeremy. Yeah, yeah. I remember you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little reunion. <laughs> Are you okay? Is the appendix It, it was there? fine. I didn't die. But... <laughs> clearly, clearly. That's good. That's good. <laughs> was there a question? Was that your hospital room? <laughs> 102? If it was, I'll see you there. <laughs> but... I'm glad. We're all happy that you did not die on the way to an acoustic <laughs> performance you, of Whitfield Crane. Good job. There we go. What's you your did... name again? Dangerous Benny? Give it up for Dangerous Benny, right on. Uh, down the front here, Pete. Thank you, sir. DB! Killing it. What's your name? Where you from? Hey. I'm Claire from Bedford. Hi, Claire. Um, my question is, um, so what's been your most memorable or unique experience while touring or performing live, and how has it impacted your connection with your audience? Great question. It's insanely, there's a labyrinth of answers for that. But I could tell you a funny story, but I don't know if that is what you're looking for. So you guys want to hear the mud story from Canada? Yeah. That's pretty good. It's kind of like, that's unique. It's unique. So I've never, as an artist, been turned off before. Like I can always finish the set. You don't like, no one's pulled the plug on me except for this story. And I don't know how this affects the audience, but um, it's a unique experience. So we're on tour with, uh, we did, uh, we're on the same label at this time with uh, 1993 with Def Leppard. We're touring around the world with Def Leppard. And we did the first leg of that tour. It's like 70 or 80 gigs with Leppard. And like halfway through the thing, whatever that is, like 35 some odd shows, boom, that's over. And then, but everyone's cool. We say, yeah, we'll see you next time. And the next time is like somewhere deep in the heart of Canada. And it's raining and it's the middle of nowhere in this field. And, um, and it's, you know, it's a big show. There's all these weird bands. There's like Ugly Kid Joe, Def Leppard. April wine and some other weird bands. I'm like, what is this tour? But whatever. I don't really care. And it's, and 
it is literally in the middle of nowhere. There's no town. It's like, you know, in a big field. And like whoever had put the infrastructure of this show together, it must have been a nightmare. And out, it's like 30,000 people. And out, way far out, I don't know if you've been to festivals, way far out there, there's like a three-story, you know, uh, what's it, not a tent, where the soundboard is. You know, it's like three stories. What's that called? What would you call that? Like a scaffolding? Yeah, but where the, where the sound man is, way out there. It's like three stories up. Like the sound desk. Yeah, sound desk, yeah, but yeah. it's built on this crazy, crazy thing. Like it's, it's way Halfway up the tent. No, no, it's like out, out in the, like, you know, out in the middle of this field is the, is the sound man, but it's built on scaffolding all the way up. Like, it's, you know. Right. And, and people can stand on top of it and no, watch. No, 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 just that. All right. No. Are we all picturing it? Can, can you guys, can you yeah, guys right see this? Can you see it? There's some sort of structure in the distance. Can you see it? Anyway, I can see it. And uh, so we're playing the show, and um, and we're playing, and there's like, you know, it's raining. We're playing the show. And behind us is everybody's back lines, right? Like nice people shining up the China symbols. It's like, so there's back lines. Back, I mean, the other bands are ready. To, they're queued up. So you wouldn't want to throw anything at anything back there, right? So as we're playing, like some of the, the, the people out in the crowd were throwing like rocks and twigs and mud things. And I, and, and I said the thing which I thought was smart at the time. I said, is that all you Canadian pussies got? <laughs> and it was incredible. It was all like that, and, and it was all the, all the backlines. Everything was being destroyed, and, it, and, and my and my guitar players were, like, ow, ow, ow. and 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 I was like, and I was like, ah, I thought it was funny, but I wouldn't do that now. But at the time, I thought it was awesome. And then, but do you know, I'm quick on my feet, and I go like this. Back to your question, the original plot, and I go, ooh, because you got to think. I go, I go, all right, all right, all right. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. What I need you to because because with energy, the energy had to have an outlet, and I go. What I need you guys to do now is see the sound deck store there behind you. I need everyone to turn around and take that motherfucker out. And the whole crowd turns and goes, and I'm all, yeah, that's that's what I'm talking about. And then, then they talk. And my band's like this. My band's like my band's like this. And everybody I saw walking to that stage on like wooden planks, like everyone's like, yeah, Crane, it's good to see you. Fuck yeah, high five, here's a beer. Fuck yeah, here's a good handshake, right? And on the way back, I was like, I didn't even know I did anything bad. And I cruised, because I was, once again, I was dim. And I cruised back and everybody that gave me the, you're rad look on the way in was like this. <laughs> really? <laughs> and not even my band. I, was, I looked at my band for any solace and they were like, oh, really? <laughs> Is that a good one? There you go. Can I ask you real quick? Um, how healing has it been since reuniting with the guys? Because, you know, so long past, and it was, I guess, a, you know, a certain point in time you think, well, it's probably not going to happen again. It's great that it did. When it does kickstart once more, and when, as you said, well into the second chapter of the band that's even longer than the first. How healing has the whole experience been for all of you as creatives, as players, but also just as humans, as people, as friends? Um, it's both. So it's cathartic without a doubt, you know, um, once again, and in concert with, you know, I know these songs, it's a band, it's, it's our band. Like I'd love to go do it. And so the fact that we get to go do it, like the fact that Klaus, for whatever reason, didn't want to do it for 15 or 16 years is, is that is what it is. And because of that, I evolved in a, in a myriad of ways, but, the fact that we did show up at this late stage and that people still enjoy the band and people want to go check it out and we're making albums and we're loving each other. It's, it's healing. It's cathartic. It's beautiful. And no matter what happens now, we'll be cool. 
but it was weird when it died in 96 because I was like, ah, that there was more, there's more of a story in my mind to be told. So, you know, at the very least we've told more of the story. So it feels, that's a great question and it feels awesome. And the new music's just kick ass, man. That EP, are you wearing a Stairway to Hell EP t-shirt there? That EP just crushes, dude. I'm all right, especially. There was the moment in that kind of like middle eight section, I guess, where you do the full Bon Scott thing and I'm like, ah, I hear the influence right there. <laughs> Like to tell a story. Uh, any more questions from the crowd? <laughs> I've got one. Yeah, go on. Rega- yes. Regarding uh, the album, you did. Um, you guys combined with Angelo Moore from Fishbone. Yeah. How did that come across? Because I'm a massive Fishbone fan. I think that Angelo Moore, without a doubt, is the best frontman of all time. He's fucking great. Cool. I'd like to jam with Angelo Moore. Where'd that girl go? <laughs> I'd like to jam with Fishbone. There it is. I'd like to jam with those guys. Um, ah, there we go. Four pounds, do I have five? Seven pounds, nine loads of pounds. Um, um, what was your question? How did the yeah, fishbone connection come about? Yeah. What was it? How did the oh, fishbone connection come about? Well, in that song, I go to sleep at night and, I, and I, I have visions of creative things all the time. And in my mind, I'm, I could hear fishbone horns. And Sonny Mayo was tracking that stuff, uh, tracking the part, the part of that record in L.A., and I'm all sudden I hear these horns. He's like, tell me about it. What horns do you hear? I go, fish, fuck, fishbone horns, bro. He goes, I know those dudes. I go, I kind of know them. He's like, but I know those dudes. And they came in and they came with their horns. We played the song and I was right there just going, no way, it's those dudes. And then uh, the first, the first, the, the first chunk of those guys came in and then they wanted, they called, they called Angelo more uh, Christmas tree. They're all, we got to get out of here before Christmas tree gets here. <laughs> and I was like, what does that mean? They just wanted to, because they're a band, they're a band and they, you know, they have their idiosyncrasies and their whatever, but they're all genius, genius musicians. And uh, they came and played the horns. Angela came in and sang, and I was like, what about this? And he's like, all right. And there it was. And that's a great question. And I love Fishbone. Give it up for Fishbone. Yeah. Uh, I can love Fishbone. I reckon we got time for two more questions. If anybody has one, this is the time. There all we right. go. Lady in play down there. What's your name? Where are you from? Emma from Milton Keynes. Hi, Emma. Give it up for Hi. Emma. Give it up for Emma. <laughs> um... Ozzy recently um, admitted that on stage he sometimes wet himself. Yes. So he would throw water over himself to cover it up because he was like, hell, I'm, you know, I'm wet anyway, so it doesn't matter. I wondered if anything ever has happened to you like that or you've sustained an injury and, like, carried on playing regardless. Yes. <laughs> anything you care to admit? No. <laughs> Just ima- how about this? Use your imagination because what a great thing imagination is. All right? Okay, okay. Let me tell you when I heard that story recently about Oz. And yeah, I, yeah, and yeah. I, Part of me went like this. Ew. Ew. Part of me went like this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. <laughs> great question. Thank you. All right, who wants the honor of the last question oh, of the night? <laughs> no pressure. Yes. Hiya. So, if What's you your had, name, first of all, who are we? I'm Phoebe. Phoebe, I'm from Australia, but I live in London. Hi, Phoebe. Where, where in Australia from? Uh, I say Melbourne. Melbourne. Yeah, have you I been? I lived in Melbourne for 10 months. Really? Did you love it? Whereabouts? I, did. I lived in St. Kilda. Oh, of course I, you fucking did. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course you fucking did, can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm, I'm trying to be polite. Yeah. Um, If you had one hour with anyone you could bring back, dead or alive, yeah. that could teach you something for an hour, yeah. who would it be? Maya Angelou. Oh, wow. Didn't see that coming. There you go. Wow. What and why? She, what would she teach you? Why? 
Well, because she is an incredible poet and an incredible being with an incredible voice and an incredible cadence in her voice, an incredible survivor and wow. an incredibly positive woman and, and righteous. I'd love to learn from her. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah, sorry. yeah. But what about the time that the guy that had stitches go. coming out of his... <laughs> Give it up for Big Bad <laughs> Yeah, Bill. we don't want to hear from Dangerous Benny. That's enough. Thank you. <laughs> well, before that note, what a lovely note to end on that was. Give it up for Dangerous Dan. <laughs> <laughs> we have a final bid. All right, right on. All right, what's the final bid? Ten English pounds in cash. How much? <laughs> Ten English pounds in cash. That's hard to say no, but check this watch it out. Monosyllabic. No. Oh. At this point in the night, I'm going to get off the stage. Can I'm I pee? Yeah, whip, please go and r- run through the middle and take care of business because we don't want to wet yourself at a QA. <laughs> I'll be all right. I'm going to welcome to the stage my dear friend Christopher Dean. Give it up for Christopher Dean, London. Make some noise. He's going to come and jam with Whit right now. You're going to enjoy some acoustical songs of the UKJ variety, perhaps a few cover surprise songs in the mix as well. Feeling good, Chris? He's feeling good, ladies and gentlemen. One more time. Make some noise for Christine. Give it up. Don't worry, dude. I'm not going to leave you alone on stage whilst Wit's in the bathroom. I'll use this moment to do one more sales pitch. So I have four books for sale. If anybody would like one, Life in the Stocks, Volume 1 which features interviews with the likes of Be Real, Doug Stanhope, Stephen Van Zandt, Mina Caputo, who we were talking about earlier, Steve-O, Tom Green, Andrew WK, many more. And Life in the Stocks, Volume 2, which features interviews with Gene Simmons, Tommy Lee, Chuck D, Perry Farrell, uh, Walter Schreifels, and many, many more. So, yeah, if anybody would like to take a book home, please take them off my hands. I'm on tour. I'm trying to travel light. Um, do you know what song you're going to do first, Chris? I haven't got a clue. We'll see what the maestro wants. <laughs> Let's hope he's not gone for a number two, eh? Let's hope that. Has everybody had a wonderful evening tonight? Have you had a nice time? Really appreciate you coming out. Uh, as I said, if you missed it at the start, this will be going up as a podcast in a couple of weeks. So if you want to relive the experience, please check out the show Life in the Stocks, available on all good podcast platforms. And just like that, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the room, Mr. Whitfield Crane. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.